This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome to Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. Did you know that the moment you believed in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life, you were called to live your new life supernaturally? Imagine living every day on earth with purity and passion and power. Well, if you belong to Jesus, that is the life He intended for you. And our guest over the next three weeks will introduce us to the provision that Christ has made for us to live that supernatural life right here and right now. We're so pleased to have with us today Dwight Edwards, Senior Pastor of Water's Edge Community Church in Houston, Texas. In case you were wondering, Dwight is the direct descendant of renowned theologian and pastor Jonathan Edwards. He has been a pastor for over 30 years and has ministered throughout the United States and around the world. Dwight studied at Dallas Theological Seminary and is a graduate of the University of Mary Hardin Baylor. He is a current best-selling author of books, including Kindling for the Fire, Revolution Within, and Releasing the Rivers Within. Welcome, Dwight. Well, thanks, Carmen. It's great to be here. Oh, we are so excited to have you. You know, my husband and I both have read so many of your books. (laughs) We have seen our lives transformed by the truth that you've gleaned from God's Word. So I just couldn't wait to introduce you to our audiences so that they can be motivated to live this supernatural life that we're talking about this uh, next three weeks. Well, you know, our audience might be surprised, as, as I was, to learn that really the key to supernatural living living is found in the New Covenant. Absolutely. Uh, so oftentimes we, we keep going back to the Old Covenant to pull truth, and truth is there, obviously. But uh, there are definitely differences that we need to understand to move forward in living this supernatural life. Absolutely. And I always say there's a reason your Bible's split in two. Yeah. Uh, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, simply Old Covenant, New Covenant. That's all that it means. And I do think that uh, all too often, a lot of times, just because we don't know what's being offered, we unwittingly default back into what I'd like to call an Old Covenant mode. Mm-hmm. And so, um, as I said, the, the, the fundamental difference between the Old Covenant and New Covenant is best seen in what we call the watchword. Mm-hmm. So, the Ten Commandments all begin with the same uh, phrase, you shall, you shall not. Mm -hmm. Um, But suddenly, as we move into the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, we read, a new heart will I give them, a new spirit I will put within them. I will cleanse them from all their filthiness, from all their idols. And what we find is that the new covenant is God's I will to the legitimate you shall of the the old covenant. But it's, it's so crucial because, as I said, yeah. too often we're trying to, to mix the two or just we forget about the fact that God calls us to a level of living that is fundamentally impossible to, mm-hmm. to pull off on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've really enjoyed putting this material together because it was, it was life-changing for me and I know yes. for, for many others. The hope goes back on. I think oh, in that regard. No doubt about it.
about it. No doubt about it. You mentioned how we do see the Old Covenant and New Covenant mixed oftentimes. And in our understanding, we will get confused in the passages and what it means for my life. And, and, and the fact is, is the context is key. If it's in the Old Testament, if it's the Old Covenant, it doesn't apply necessarily to us as believers. We have to be so careful. But how uh, might mixing the Old and New Covenant affect our supernatural living, if you will, well, one of the ways I like to illustrate, and I have it in the book, is um, my background is tennis. And when I was in college, a lady called me up and asked me if I would give tennis lessons to her two children. I said, fine. So the next day, she brings uh, two young guys, age four, age five, and they both have full-size adult tennis rackets that they're pulling beneath them, uh-huh. behind them. Uh-huh. So I take them out, and I teach them how to hold the racket, how to swing, you know, all the different things that they should be doing. And so I toss the ball to them, and about the time the ball's hitting the back fence, you know, they're just getting the racket back. So mm-hmm. it's going downhill in a hurry. Yeah. So I, I had a friend come over. I said, listen, I want to try something. Would you toss the ball to us while I stand behind the young guy? So I got behind him. I said, listen, I want you just to relax and, and lean into my strength, lean, lean into, into me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit that ball over the net through you. Mm-hmm. And so they tossed it. Sure enough, we hit it over the net, tossed it, hit it over the net. And then he said, okay, I got it. Yeah. I said, okay, fine. So I stepped back. I said, have at it. You know, same exact problem. I mean, right, you, can't, right. you can't, couldn't do anything. So uh, I asked him, would you like some help? And uh, he said, yeah. So I stepped in to do the same thing, except this time he was going to help me out. Mm. This time, it wasn't just him falling back into my strength and my skill. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit borrowing my strength, my skill, but mainly oh, he yeah. said I could, and he was too stiff. Mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't do what I was able to do before because he was just too tight. The, I think the best way to understand the Old Covenant and New Covenant is that the Old Covenant was God showing us you know, how to hit the ball, and it was mm-hmm. legitimate, and it was right, yes, and, yes. and so forth and so on. The problem is we didn't have the capacity. We didn't have the strength to do it. I, I think the reason there was an old covenant is that God had to give man enough rope to hang himself. I, I, I think, you know, I think until we came to the end of our rope, we'd uh-huh. still be naively optimistic about what we could do. The new covenant essentially is Jesus saying, okay, I got you back. I got it covered. Now, I want you to fall back into my strength, into my skill, into my joy, into my peace, and I'm going to love through you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to walk through you, mm-hmm. and I'm going to share through you. Uh, and it's simply what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by falling back moment by moment, second by second, mm-hmm. on a power and a strength not my own, so that he can do through me what I'm fundamentally incapable of doing on my own. So I think yes. that's it. And don't you find it's our pride that keeps us from falling back into his arms and letting him lead us and guide us? Absolutely. You know, the flesh always wants in on the on the the proposition. And I think it's our pride. Um, Sometimes it's lack of knowledge. But but I think most of the time it's just the pride that says, "Okay, I got it. Mm -hmm. I can do it. Yeah, 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 I can do it. Uh, I can do it. I don't need your help. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, You state in one of your books that the old covenant provided a code to live under, but the new covenant provides a person to live through. Uh, Really, you've just illustrated that with your with your story. Exactly. I think one way to think about it is what is it that got hands down to man in both economies? And fundamentally, what he handed down to man in the old covenant was a tablet of stone. Mm-hmm. 
And written upon the stone were very legitimate and righteous laws. And so he basically handed that to, to, to man and said, do this and you shall live. In the new covenant, what he hands down to man is a living, breathing person. And basically, the person is saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. But now, if you'll fall back into my strength, rely on my resources, I'll do through you what you could never do on your own. So I like to think in terms of, you know, what God handed down to man is is a person versus precepts. Oh, I love that. I love that. makes it so much more personal, which is really the one it is. That's what we're talking about is a, a relationship. Well, you know, one of the most convicting realizations that I had when reading your book, Revelation Within, uh, is that God's reputation is at stake. Yeah. I love that that picture because we can all relate to our reputations, wanting to have a good reputation. Well, God is a perfect God. His reputation being at, st- uh, at stake is, is a serious business. You talk about how Israel failed. Yes. Uh, at at really revealing this invisible God for who he was. But now uh, we have this responsibility as believers to to make him visible to this watching world. Tell us uh, how they failed, sure. first of all. Well, I think it's important to recognize, you know, that when God created Israel, it was primarily so that he could flaunt himself to the nations around. So you start back in Genesis 12 with what's called the Abrahamic covenant. He says, I will bless you, but we, we, I think we don't take seriously enough. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Mm-hmm. So five times in Genesis, he says that three times to Abraham, once to Jacob, uh, once to Isaac. And his point is, I'm going to use you as a conduit mm-hmm. to get to the nations around that I love. And the way he's going to do that is he's going to give them a land and they're going to live in the land in such a way that they are the surprise factor of planet Earth. Uh That as the nations look in and they see how these people relate to each other, how these people go hard after one God, not the polytheistic uh, gods of, of the other cultures, they're going to become jealous. They're going to become curious. And they're going to come and see. So the Queen of Sheba is probably the classic example where she comes from a far land. So I want in on this. So, So God's design always was that his people were going to be his walking billboards. Mm -hmm. They were going to be his advertising agency. Sadly, what happens, and Ezekiel 36 is the key, key passage on this. And basically, he says, you have profaned my name. Mm -hmm. And the the word profane, all it means is common or ordinary. And he says, by two things, by idols and the blood shed on the land. And basically, nobody takes me seriously because they see nothing different in your life. Now, what's fascinating to me is then he comes along And he says, I'm going to give you this new covenant. He says, I do not do this for your sake, but for my great name's Mm -hmm. sake, which you have profaned. And then he says this, and the nation shall know that I am the Lord when I am sanctified in you before their eyes. And so the idea is this, God's still going to use human beings to wake the nations up, unbelievers up to who he is. He hasn't given up on human beings, Mm -hmm. but he simply says, you know, the old covenant did not work because you didn't have the capacity. So that's where you have these tremendous passages, Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, where he says, I will wash you with um, clean water. I'll, I'll, I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness, all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. Mm-hmm. I will place my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my ways. All these great promises. So the, the beauty of it is God saying, you know what? I'm, I'm still on target. The yes. thing that, that matters most to me 
is me, and rightly so, his glory. So the way I like to put it is, handiwork worthy of the name of God can only be produced by God. Right. So that was the whole point, is God saying, you know what, you you know, we didn't do so well the first go round. Give me the chance. Fall back in my arms. Let me do through you what you could never do before. And so that's, you know, running throughout the scripture, this issue of the glory of God is huge, is huge. And, um, you know, our lives will most come together when we are most absorbed and relying on and just mesmerized by this Mm. this great reality of the glory of God. And and one of the other things about him choosing Israel and then choosing us uh, is we're so unlikely. Uh, You know, Israel is a small little country and significant in in light of the other countries around. So to see them have great power and to demonstrate his glory would be, would get their attention. Absolutely. absolutely. And it, it does seem like that God almost favors the underdogs in order to show himself strong. So mm-hmm. in 1 Corinthians, he'll write, you see your calling, brother, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world. He doesn't say not any, which is important. I mean, there, there are, there are uh, people of, of high standing that of he course, uses. Of course. But uh, I just, I love that idea that the handiwork worthy of the name of God can mm-hmm. only be produced by God. So that's why it's called the fruit of the spirit, not the mm-hmm. fruit of well-intentioned flesh, but it's love and joy and peace and all these different things that, that only God can produce in and, and through us. So. Mm, I love it. I love it. Now, so today, the church, the body of Christ, is on target to be those, uh, key, those kingdom priests for the Lord. We are to represent him to this world that is watching. Uh, how different is it for us today than, than what the Israelites were called to do? Is it the same mission? Well, yeah, I'd say it's the same mission. Okay. It, the, the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 was first given in Genesis 12. Genesis 12 is the first articulation of the Great Commission. I will bless you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So he says in Matthew 28, Acts 1-8, um, you shall receive power of the Holy Spirit having come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So nothing's changed in terms of God wanting to break through to all the nations, because we find that ultimately Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9, at the end, when it's all said and done, there are men and women from every tribe, every tongue, Mm -hmm. every people, every nation Mm -hmm. worshiping him. So now God is still in the process of trying to wake people up to the kind of God that he is. And the way I like to illustrate is is when Moses was walking along the backside of the the desert and he sees a burning bush, Mm -hmm. he stops in his tracks he says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush burns and is not consumed. And I want to suggest that what the burning bush was to Moses is exactly what Israel was meant to be to the nations around. Oh, wow. that, that the burning bush did three things. Mm-hmm. Number one, it reflected the presence of God. They, you know, the fire was in it, the presence of God. Secondly, it relayed the word of God. Mm-hmm. God spoke through the bush to Moses. But I think maybe most importantly, it provoked surprise. Moses is walking along and he stops and says, wait, I need to turn aside and see this side. Why this bush doesn't, doesn't burn up? And I want to suggest that the church has exactly that same function. Mm. We're here for that uh, threefold purpose. One is to reflect the presence of God. Right. We couldn't do that well under the old covenant because we didn't have the goods to work with. Secondly, we're here to relay the word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thirdly, and I think this is so important and we so lose sight of this, we're here to provoke surprise. We're here to live in such a way that, that it causes unbelievers to scratch their head and say, how, how could she or he respond like that in that situation? Mm-hmm. 
You know, why do they, you know, so humbly and kindly go about, you know, their work? So um, it doesn't happen often enough. I mean, there's wonderful examples yes. through. Yeah. But um, I think really one of the things that will most revolutionize a Christian's mm-hmm. life is simply to think in terms of how can I be surprising? Mm-hmm. You know, in this situation, what would catch unbelievers off guard, you know, obviously in a positive way? I mean, one classic example, there's so many I could choose, but in um, 2006, when a crazed gunman went into Amish schoolroom mm. and initially kills four right off the bat oh, and, then, sure. and then another four before it's all said and done, turns the gun on himself. Well, reporters from all over came down to, 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 to cover the story. What they couldn't figure out is that the Amish from day one said, we forgive him. Yeah. We, 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 we hold absolutely no grudge. Then their great concern was for his wife. Because you can imagine how she feels, the wife of this man. They never saw it coming. And so when there was a funeral for him, the vast majority of the Amish went to the funeral mm-hmm. so they could support. support the Then the women within the Amish community got a fund together to help her move on in her life, knowing that she had no one to support her. You know, tell me there's not a God in Israel. I mean, that, that, that does not happen That's apart right. from resurrection power. You know? Absolutely. So, so there, there are times that there's some wonderful examples. You know, and, that, and I'm so glad there are wonderful examples absolutely, today absolutely. because sometimes we see so much evil in the world and, and, and Christians who are doing good don't always get the exposure. And that's okay too, yeah. because the, the Lord sees it. Right. Uh, but at the same time, if, 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 if there were more believers out there looking for those opportunities to be spectacular for God, uh, to show his spectacularness, I think it. And that was the secret of the first 300 years of Christianity. You know, the, nothing in church history rivals those first um, 300 years. And one of the main reasons is that they led by surprise. In other words, what, what caught the attention of the early uh, world of that day, the Roman world, Yes, it was that, that many of them went to their death singing. I mean, they, they, they saw that, and that's not to take away from, from the power of that. Mm-hmm. But mainly, it was that they blessed the culture and the people around them, no strings attached. In other words, they didn't say, if you become a Christ follower, we'll help you out here. Mm-hmm. They just said, come on. So they, they were the go-to place if a person was in town and couldn't find anywhere to sleep. The Christians will take you. Okay, yeah. they had another deal, which was really tragic. It was called um, the infanticide of young girls, and it was very, very common that a young, when a baby girl was born, that she was just thrown out on the the doorstep, left to die. The Christians were the only people who came around. They picked up these little girls, took them home, and raised them as their own. Beautiful. Um, there was uh, several bad epidemics. And it was the Christians who stayed in the city, and they not only helped um, their own people, they helped the unbelievers, again, no strings attached, and many of them lost their lives by contracting the very disease. Uh, and it was things like that, mm-hmm. that that caught the attention of the unbelieving world. So, man, there, there may be something to this. So. Oh, you are absolutely right. I love the example that you gave from Luke 3 of God calling unique, calling us uniquely where he's placed us to reveal that difference, that, that surprise, if you will. Talk a little bit about that, what we can glean from I, that. I, I love that passage, and, and it needs to be taught more, you know, where John the Baptist has been preaching, and the people come and they say, what shall we do? 
Now, I think one of the things, okay, how would we answer that? How does the church so often answer that? Because obviously now they're getting serious about walking with the Lord. You know, they said, okay, now we're really ready to get after it. I think oftentimes we say in the church, well, then you need to leave your job and you need to go to seminary and you need to get a degree and you need to go out, quote, to the ministry. John says, no, you're already in ministry. Mm -hmm. So he says to the people, he says, okay, you go back and what you do is you give a tunic to him who does not have it, which would be, you know, uh, a huge deal in that day with this little clothing as they had, extra food. But I love that he turns to the soldiers and soldiers say, what shall, shall we do? And he, and he says, you go back and you don't intimidate anybody and you be content with your wages. Which would, again, would be Which would be a shocker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. And then the tax collectors. I love this. You know, if, if you would think he'd say a tax collector. Well, you've got to get out of tax collecting. Right, right. You, know, you, you can't do that. You can't do that guys. anymore. He says, no, you go back to, you, to your tax collecting friends and you go back and you don't take any more money than what is due, which was unheard of in that culture. So I, it's such a great passage because he's saying, go back into the nook and the cranny. Go back. We use the term that's sovereign, that, that sphere of natural influence that God has sovereignly given you mm-hmm. uh, and, and mix it up there because you have a natural bridge. And I, if believers would think in terms of what in my background has God placed that uniquely connects me with a segment of the unbelieving world? Yes. What, what is that? Take advantage of it. Absolutely. Use it to go over. That's, that's, I love that passage. Well, and I, I love the fact that it really points to our uniqueness. And our, we all have different gifts. We all have different opportunities. We all have a different circle of influence. Absolutely. And to be able to allow those in our circle to be influenced for Christ because of our sharing and our giving and our loving, uh, it, it would be unusual to see that. And there's there. another, there's a great uh, passage in Mark 5. This is the same thing. It's the Gerasene demoniac. And the Lord heals him, delivers him of his demons and so forth. And the Lord's getting ready to leave. And you remember he comes and he begs that he could get in the boat and go with go him. With him. Yeah. And our, Lord, our Lord's response is, he said, no, go home to those who are yours or your friends go, or go back to your family. But literally in the Greek, it reads, go to those who are yours. It's almost like there's a stewardship there and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Mm-hmm. And basically saying, he said, no, no, you go back to those who are yours, those who are your most natural sphere of influence. And I love it. the message. He doesn't say, now, Go back and tell them they have no business raising pigs, which is too often what the church does. He says, no, just go back and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion uh, on you. And, um, you know, I I remember a couple of years ago playing tennis with a um, friend of mine, and uh, he knew that I was, quote, religious or uh, a pastor and so forth. Um, And we were during break just talking. He said, you know, the biggest problem I have with the born again deal is that every friend I've ever had who got born again, I never saw him again. Um, we never had a fight. Uh, nothing was wrong, but they were so busy doing church things that they never had time for me wow. in the morning mm-hmm. to go to happy hour, to go play tennis and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that's, that happens all too often. You Doesn't know, it? yeah, absolutely. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a great word to think in terms of yeah. what is that unique sphere of influence that yes. God has sovereignly placed into my background, into where I am, and now milk it for all it's worth. Mm. Oh, I agree. Very, very good. You, you mentioned earlier how our flesh wants to get in on, on uh, what we're doing. It's, it's so difficult to turn it all over to the Lord. So our flesh gets in there. But how do we prevent taking this amazing calling that God has given us? How do we prevent from taking the glory for ourselves and taking us down a path of self-indulgence and, and, and uh, self-serving? 
Well, I think one is to recognize that till the day we die, our flesh will always have that temptation. And I think believers um, hamstring themselves too soon uh, many times when, when the thought crosses our mind, that is not sin. You know, that, that it, it, the sin is when we bring it back and we coddle it and we act out on it. But it says that, that Christ was tempted in all points, like as we, yet without sin. So I think one thing to recognize is, um, and Larry Crabb put it this way. Oh, I thought this was very interesting. He said, you've got to come to the place that you're comfortable with your sin. Not complacent, mm-hmm. but comfortable in this sense that until I die, I am going to think the most revolting, most wicked thoughts that I wouldn't want anybody on planet Earth to ever know. But all that shows is I'm still human, you know. So I think a starting place is to say, you know, don't um, overreact just when the thought comes through. And to the day we die, we're going to want glory, not our own. Mm -hmm. To the day we die, we're going to want, you know, all these different things we know are not right. But that doesn't define us as an individual. Mm -hmm. Because I always like to say, Mm -hmm. for, for every believer, there's something deeper in us than sin. There's Absolutely. something deeper than our jealousy, something deeper than our pride. Mm-hmm. So that the, um, I think the goal of Christian life is not to fix the flesh because it's never going to happen. It's, gonna it's happen. never going to happen. Mm-hmm. But it's to override the flesh. And that is to say, wait a minute, there is lurking within you something better and something deeper. Mm-hmm. And therefore, spirituality is not trying to hold back the flesh. It's releasing the good that's that. in. And all that good is, is, is surely from God. Absolutely. And keeping that focus off of our sin and focusing instead on the Savior exactly. who redeemed us. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No sanctification uh, ever occurred by being preoccupied yeah. with our own sinfulness. Yeah. You know, yeah. but it's being preoccupied with, with the glory and the beauty of Christ. Mm-hmm. Just can get better. I know it's so important for us to come to the end of ourselves. You say the end of ourselves is the beginning of, of God in our lives. So what does it mean uh, for our listeners to come to the end of ourselves. I love that. And I love that phrase. You know, the end of self is the beginning of God. I like just the simple word brokenness. And, and I, I, I truly, truly believe that um, of all the things to cultivate most diligently in our lives, brokenness is number one. Mm-hmm. Brokenness and humility, I kind of put them together. Yeah. And John Ruskin put it this way. He said, it, the, the soil out of which everything good in a man's life comes is brokenness. Mm-hmm. It's the first test of a truly great man, a great woman. Now, the way we act or think about defining brokenness, because I think oftentimes people think of brokenness and they think of tragedy, they think of anguish of heart, something really bad. I love what Larry Crabb says on it. He says, brokenness is the honest admission that the flesh is totally incapable of the job it has taken on. Isn't that good? Yes, it is. And, and, so and the, that's every day, too. It's every day. <laughs> and so, and so I, I think brokenness yeah. is, is just this way, is embracing the reality. Yeah. I don't have what it takes. I never will. So John Stott put it well. He said, your, your worst enemy is pride, and your very, very best friend is humility. Mm-hmm. and brokenness. And you see it all through the scripture, you know, yes. Isaiah 57, you know, thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who is broken of a contrite spirit and so forth. So, um, so I, I, when I think of brokenness, I, I think it basically that we, we, we have finally truly believed in our heart of hearts that Jesus was not hyperbolic when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, Mm -hmm. except you abide in me. And so I think it's a lifetime of of God taking us into situation after situation 
and finally coming to the end of our rope and saying, okay, this isn't working. Coming Lord, to the end of our cheers. self-sufficiency. Exactly, exactly. I can't do it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's a growing process. I mean, hopefully as, as we're growing as believers, we are going deeper and deeper in brokenness and, and yes, humility. no yeah. doubt about it. So. No doubt about it. Well, you know, God calls us to good works. Uh, we are to do, and he appointed it beforehand. But in light of our discussion, how do we know if our works are good uh, in the sight of the Lord? Well, I think... One is that there is a a relaxed strength when we're really trafficking in the Holy Spirit and allowing him to live his life through me. So, um, you know, I I, I think there's three things I talk about in the book that it has to pass these three tests to be considered good. The most the most basic is is it in accordance with the scripture? I mean, if, if, it's, if it's going contrary to Scripture, clearly that's not a good that's word, a good so, so we don't have <laughs> right. to go further. Now, a lot of non-Christians do good things according to that definition. Mm-hmm. And the second thing, though, is not um, what is done, but why it's done. And is this done to basically obligate God to blessing me, or is it being done to you know, gain recognition in the Christian community, or is it done simply for the glory of God? Heart that, motive. Heart motive, heart motive. And yet there's a third level. Uh, and it's not just what's done or why it's done. It's how it's done. Is it done in desperate gasping dependence upon the Holy Spirit to live through me? And I think as those begin to line up, you just know, yeah. you know, you just know that this is a God thing mm-hmm. and there's a joy and there's a peace mm-hmm. that, 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 that flows, uh, flows through that. Um, and this is where I do think that, you know, what the issue of abiding in Christ is so crucial so that we have a sense of what those good works are yes. that he wants to do through us. Because you're right, you know, Ephesians 2.10, uh, that they've been created uh, uh, <clears throat> before eternity began. Mm-hmm. So I like to think we're here not to leave a legacy primarily. We're here to unload the cargo. And, and what I mean is this. In, in 2 Timothy 4, when Paul said, uh, the time of my departure is at hand, I've fought the good fight, I've run the race. The word he uses for departure was used uh, in that day to describe a ship that had come, a merchant ship who had come to, into the harbor, had unloaded all of its cargo, and now it's going back home. And I think that is such a great picture for what we're to do here. And I think there's I way like too that. much concern about legacy. You know, what kind of legacy? You know, Jesus wasn't concerned about legacy. Well, but at the end of his life, he said, I've glorified you on the earth. I finished the work you gave me to do. Paul said, I've run the race, yeah. so forth. Yeah. So I think that those good works are a part of the, the, uh, of the cargo to be unloaded during our lifetime. And okay. I'm not saying it's always easy to know, but I think... Uh, I liked your, your thought of the, the more we abide, the yes. more you know. Yes. Because the, the closer you grow to the Lord, you, you have a sense of his being well-pleased or, well, I need to go a different direction. Or, you know, I really did that doing it right. so I could get some credit for it versus him getting all the glory. And, you know, so. it's interesting because Galatians really is written to people trying to do good works. Mm-hmm. But Paul comes and he says, what has happened to all your joy? Oh, yes. You yes. Know, something, Love it. You know, and, and so there, there is almost an internal monitoring. Mm-hmm. of being able to say, I didn't feel clean, or, you know, I'm just too anxious in doing this and so forth. So, uh, 
Ah, this has been so good. Now, we, we have you back for a couple of weeks because we want to talk on our next program about the provision yeah. that God makes yeah. for us to live the yeah. supernatural life. Thank Love you. It. Thank you, Carmen. Thank, Thank you, you for being much. with yeah. us today. Well, you know, hopefully all our call as believers to supernatural living has motivated you today. We look forward to having Pastor Dwight Edwards back with us next week to discuss Christ's provision for supernatural living. Do plan to join us. Our prayer is that you will seek to learn more through this podcast and through Grace School of Theology. We've set up a couple of ways for you to communicate with us. Email questions or comments to savinggrace at gsot.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at SavingGraceCast. The questions and comments we receive will be addressed in future programs. Be sure to tell others about our podcast. It's a great way to introduce family and friends to God's amazing grace. Thank you for tuning in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.